0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. What does it mean to be wealthy or rich? What does it mean to be rich? Uh, I think most of us, most people would define rich as all those people who have more than I do, right? That's what a rich person is. Very few people in the world would call themselves rich. And I've had friends who had assets in the millions of dollars uh, who felt themselves very middle class, right? Very middle class. And at, at that time in my life, I was a poor rural pastor making just dirt nothing. And I'm thinking this, these people, they are like, they are, they're rich, right? They're rich. Um, but that's kind of how it works. We, we don't ever want to think of ourselves as rich. Uh, and when you compare yourselves with others, if you're a millionaire compared to a billionaire, you're poor, right? You're poor. And you add up the zeros, yeah, you're poor, right? It's all who you compare your life to or with. Um, but what, what does it really mean to be wealthy? What is wealth? What is riches? Well, both in Scripture and the way it's, the word is used in Scripture as well as the way it's really used in um, modern vocabulary. Wealth simply means abundance. Okay, Wealth is abundance. It is what is left over and what we possess above and beyond the bare essentials of the basics of food, shelter, and clothing. Right. So here's the picture. Um, The basics of what you need to live is a bowl of rice, the clothes you have on your back, and a place to sleep, roof optional, right? That's the bare essentials. And it's possible to live this way, right? You can live with just uh, a bare minimum of food every day, uh, a bare minimum of clothes, and a place to sleep. Everything above that, Uh, Scripture classifies as abundance. So think about your life. How wealthy are you? How much do you have beyond one bowl of rice, one pair of clothes, and a place to sleep? Most of us are well beyond that, right? Virtually all of us, I would say all of us, no matter how poor we may be compared to some scales, by that definition, we're rich, right? We have abundance. to, to put this in comparison and just to, just kind of give us a, a place to gauge ourselves with all right let's compare our life to that of Jesus. What did Jesus have be beyond bread for the day, one set of clothes and a place to sleep without a roof? Jesus had nothing right? Jesus said foxes have dens and uh, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Uh, when he died, he died with absolutely nothing except for the clothes that he was wearing. Right? We all possess far more than that. And we all live far beyond the, the basics. And Jesus says in this passage, there there's there's danger and risk that comes with wealth. Right? And he says, watch out, be on guard. Guard your life against um, the temptation that comes with wealth. Um it is very risky. And so it's good every once in a while, and we all kind of know this, we all know that greed and uh, materialism is a sin, and so I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know this morning, but it's good every once in a while to evaluate our life and kind of check where we are in our attitude about money, about wealth, and about possessions. And it's always good to be measuring and checking that we are not holding too tight a grip on the things that God has blessed us with, uh, our wealth, our money, and our possessions. Um, so, so let's look in the, the passage. It um, says, says Jesus, someone in the crowd as he's teaching someone, comes up to him, and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. All right? And some of you have, have had the joy of being involved in it. In, uh, a parent or grandparent who died, and you got to be involved in this process of dividing the estate. Oftentimes very ugly, very ugly things. And people who have been family, who have been brothers and sisters, who have lived their whole life together, become fierce, terrible enemies when there's property to divide. And that's exactly what's happened here. And one guy comes and he says, My my brother has not been fair. He's not dividing the estate fairly. And Jesus, I want you to uh, be judged and to divide and and bring fairness to this. Um, And Jesus says to him, it's not my job. Okay, that is not my job. Which is an interesting thing because Jesus essentially says here, it's not my place to judge or be an arbitrator in this kind of dispute. And it's a bit interesting because um, Jesus has no problem judging. In fact, uh, Scripture tells us at the end of the age, he will judge all people, Right? So when Jesus says, it's not my place to judge, it seems kind of odd because, well, actually, it is his place, right? That is his job. And, and in fact, in this passage, it's a bit extra ironic because he just got done lamb blasting the Pharisees. And what I would consider to be pretty much judgmental, as he evaluated their life and judged them. So it's funny that somebody actually comes asking for, God, for Jesus to, to judge, and he says, that's not my job, right? Why was it not his job? Well, the reason is that uh, Jesus will judge, and he is judge, and he does evaluate every person's life. What he cannot do, though, is try to bring fairness between two self-consumed selfish people. And we as parents know how this works. If you have parents, you have kids, you have more than one child. If you have an only child, you're kind of off the hook on this one. But if you have more than one child, we hear this word often. Mommy, that's not fair. Right? Daddy, that's not fair. And what that means is, in the grand scale of my selfishness and my siblings' selfishness, you're not dividing our selfishness equally. Right? And uh, how can I be really selfish when they're being having the opportunity to be more selfish? And so fair means help us be equally selfish. And that's exactly what this guy's asking for here. And Jesus said, I, don't, I can't do that, right? I'm not called to help people be equitably selfish. Right? It's not my job, right? But I'll tell you what I can do. What I can do is tell you why your selfishness is a problem, right? I will judge that part of your life. And I will tell you that you got to be on your guard and watch out for the greed and the covetousness that is driving this kind of dispute. Um, and, and so Jesus puts it this way he says take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions um, Jesus has this "Great, great danger in wealth and he's not saying here that wealth in itself is wrong he's not saying that and he's not calling all people to live as he did So the point of this message this morning is not to tell you all to go out, sell everything except for one set of clothes and be homeless and live on the streets. Jesus does not call us to that. In fact, what you have is a gift and a blessing from God. God has blessed us with the wealth that we possess. And the problem is not in that blessing itself, but that blessing comes at great risk and danger that it can turn us to things that are self-centered and sinful. And so we must guard against it. And specifically, uh, the, the risk of wealth is that it can cause us to be covetous. Uh, what is covetous? I have no idea. Um, it's a word that I, I know is like one of the, you know, in the commandments in the Bible. We're not supposed to do it. I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, some translations, Bibles translate the word here as greed, which is a little, a little more identifiable for us. What does it mean, though? What is greed? What is covetousness? Well, the word literally means the desire to have more. It's the desire, the longing, uh, the, the lust, the craving for more. Well, for more of what? Well, certainly, uh, in the context here, it's for more than what you already have. Right. So it's, it's the sin of not being content with the blessing that God has given you and be happy with that. It's wanting more of what you already have. But even beyond that, I think it could be de- it could be de- defined as, uh, especially as Jesus portrays it here, as wanting more than what is the basic essentials of life. Uh, God wants to sustain your life; He wants you to have that bowl of rice every day, and hopefully with some good, you know, gop cow on top, um, some good curry. He, wa- he wants you to to eat well. He wants you to be clothed. He wants you to have a place to sleep. Beyond that, the abundance, right, and the, the craving for everything beyond that could be classified as covetousness, right? The longing and desire for more stuff. And, and he says not only should we guard against covetousness, but he says all kinds of covetousness, all kinds of longing and desire. Uh, so it means things like money and wealth. But it also means things like comfort and security. It means things like power and control, influence and respect, uh, freedom and independence, travel and adventure. Anything beyond the basic essentials of life. Uh, the longing, the craving, the lusting, the hungering after those things—the Bible classifies as covetousness. Right? And Jesus says, "Beware of coveting." Right? Um, Beware of the desire for more and more and more stuff. Now, is it is it a sin to have more than just the basic essentials? Well, I don't I don't believe it is a sin. Um, as I said. God blesses us with these things and and, uh, His goodness is seen in the abundant provision that He pours out in our life. Uh, So where do we draw the line? Um, How do we know when we're crossing over into this this realm of covetousness, of greed, of wanting more? Well, Jesus describes it this way. He says, um, here's the problem. One's life does not consist... In the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist. One's life is not about. We don't measure purpose and meaning and value based on what we own and what we possess. Um, Think about that statement for a second. Do you believe that's true? Jesus says our life does not consist in the abundance of our things. Well, I, I think in the world, especially we live in today, this this phrase is is especially significant. Because the honest truth is I think most people would exactly say their life consists in what they possess. Right? That really is modern existence. Right? Modern man says, My life is what I possess. And everything about my life comes down to the stuff that I own. Um how, how do we? How would we measure? How would we look at what life is about? Well, to kind of illustrate what, what we mean by that, what I think Jesus means by that, imagine if we could take or you know take just a moment and focus on the animal kingdom, and it doesn't matter what creatures of creation—birds, animals, insects, bugs, fish—all the animals of creation. If you were to examine their life, if you were to look at the way they live from birth to death and how their existence is. Uh, You could sum up, I think accurately, what life is about for them. So, for example, ants work together and they organize themselves and order themselves to go out and get food and bring it in and store it so that they can survive the the winter months uh, and live. Uh, You could look at bees who gather uh, pollen and and the nectar and they bring it back and they make honey so that they can live. Uh, Some animals live in herds and graze pasture, and they live in herds to protect themselves uh, so that they can live. Other animals eat the first group of animals, right? They're the predators who run in packs and hunt uh, the animals that eat the grass. It doesn't matter what you look at. If you look at all the animals of creation, what is life to them? Any guesses? What is life to them? Survival, right? Survival. That's what their life is about, right? Uh, The bees are not actually selling the honey to, you know, go on a cruise to the North Pole, right? They're they're just making honey just to live, right? Uh, We're very thankful that that they share (laughs) because we like the honey, right? Uh, A cow eats grass to live, right? It's just survival, and you look at all the, all the creatures of God has made, you could characterize their life that way. But imagine that an alien came from outer space and they came to planet Earth and they had observed the ants and the bees and the, and the whales and the fish. And they said, on life, everything is about survival. But then they come across mankind. They come across you and I and they visit the major cities of the world and they, they see how human beings live their life and they see the activities that human beings engage in and what what the focus and what their energy is spent on, what would they say is life is about to be human? Would they say what it means to be human, what life is about, is survival? I think we got that one down, really. I think we're doing pretty well with that one, right? Uh, And I think they would say, no, what it must mean to be human, what life is about if you are a human being is what consuming. Right? These people live to consume stuff, right, and to own stuff, and to get stuff, and to collect stuff, and to play with stuff. Right, that that is what life is about for modern man. Um, here's the test, right? Here's the test. And just to imagine. Okay, just play with this for a lot. And I'm not saying you should do this. I'm just saying just think about this for a minute. Imagine what your life would be if it was only the bare essentials. Right? Imagine if for some reason you did end up absolutely dirt poor and homeless and you got kicked out and you were living on the street and all you really owned was your your clothes. And uh, you scrounged around in trash cans and got, you know, leftover food to to live every day. And and that was your life, right? Um, Can you imagine what life would be? Would your life continue on? Would your life, would there be life, right? I think most of us, that would be like, no, like life would be over. I might as well be dead then because I could not have life without all this stuff. Is that true? Would you cease to exist if there was no Facebook? (laughs) Or email, or TV, or movies, or chatting, or texting, or video games, or computers? Would your life cease to exist? I think for some of us, we're pretty sure it would. What would I do? Would you die if you had only one set of clothes and one pair of shoes and no furniture and no car and no savings account and no paycheck. Would you die? There's a lot of people in the world who would be proof that, no, you wouldn't die. You would live on, right? You might wish you would die, but chances are you would keep living, right? Um, Could your life have purpose? And here's a question. Could you do meaningful ministry without a computer and without Internet and without technology and without all the stuff we have? I think Jesus would say, it can be done, right? Um, Jesus amazingly did a lot of ministry without a computer. Crazy, crazy, right? And never posted anything even once on Facebook, right? What is life about, right? In our world and in the mentality of our, uh, our modern existence, uh, this is a strange saying. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Life is not found in all of this stuff. And think about the time and energy and effort and worry and concern we spend on all this stuff. And Jesus says, life is not anywhere in that stuff. So if it's not in those things, if if the purpose and meaning and worth and joy of life is not found in these things, and by the way, that's a big one. Joy and happiness is not found in these things. Here's a question. If all that was stripped away, could you still be happy? Jesus says, yes. Because happiness and joy and meaning and purpose in life is not found in those things. So the big question is, well, then where is it found? What is life about for us as human beings? Well, we'll answer that question in a minute. But first, let's look at the parable that Jesus tells to teach about what this means as he tries to unpack for his disciples what this looks like. And he says, he he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, I love this, soul, you ever talk to your soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, First, the first first thing the, the main character in the story is a rich man, right? Even before this story, he's a man who has gained and acquired wealth. Uh, he has abundance, right? And Jesus does not condemn his wealth. He doesn't say there was this sinful, wicked rich man. This is a rich man, and he actually has gotten there as, as the story implies through diligence and hard work. He has applied wisdom to agriculture, and he's bought lands, and he's managed lands, and he's got fields. You know, he went to Echo and got some consulting from Abram on, you know, what pl- things to plant. And and uh, he studied well, and he's been diligent to to do this well. And it's gone well for him. Right? Is that wrong? Well, no, that's that's. That's a good thing. Right. And so Jesus is not faulting him. He's he's a hardworking guy. He's wise. He's been diligent. He's he's studied hard. He's managed the fields and he's managed his laborers and he's leveraged things so that he could be successful. And it's worked for him. Um, But not only has it been a matter of his own hard work, but he also has gotten really good luck. Uh, but of course the good luck is not luck it's it's the blessing of god and it said that this particular year as he uh, planted all his crops and he managed everything well this particular year god rained down huge favor on him the rains came at the right time and the sun came at the right time and he ends up with a bumper bumper crop and his land produced plentifully and he did well he kind of you know he struck the jackpot because God blessed his efforts. Uh, do, do any of you like playing board games? I, I like playing board games, and it's, it's, it's fun. And, and there's a lot about board games that's kind of like real life. And take a game like Monopoly. Probably most of you have played Monopoly. And, and it's a, kind of a good picture of this very thing, right? You start off, and you, you start with just minimal resources and minimal um, cash, and you apply skill and, and, and you go around the board multiple times and you're trying to buy the right properties and put houses and hotels on it uh, so that you can gain you know, more income, and the more income you get, you're leveraging. And if you're a good player and you use skill, you can, you can do well. But, of course, there's always the luck of the dice, right? No matter how skillful you are, you need the right roll of the dice so you can land on boardwalk and buy it, right? Right? And you need extra quadruple luck to get both boardwalk and park Place right supreme real estate, supreme you know primo real estate, but you know you've played the game well and you've got the good luck and God has rained his favor down on you, and you end up with boardwalk and park Place and you've got maxed out with hotels on both and you're just waiting like a black widow spider right for some poor victim to land on your property and you nail them right and instantly you you're in the you're in payday, right? And all of a sudden your problems are over and you, you you kinda cross over this threshold from struggle to all of a sudden you own the board, right? And you have all the wealth in the world and you can land on their piddly little whatever place and It's nothing for you to pay rent to them. But, oh, man, when they land on yours. And pretty soon, everybody's going bankrupt and you are king. And you just want to keep playing because it is so much fun to just suck the life out of everybody. (laughs) Of course, by that point, you know, they've all given up. They've thrown things at you. They they hate you for life. Right? Well, that's kind of where this guy's at, right? He, I mean, it works for him. And all of a sudden, wow, he's winning. And it's like the worries are over. And he's got this huge crop. Everything is cashed in. All of his labor, all his strategies have worked. And all of a sudden, man, it just happens. And life is good. Uh, But he has a problem. And, of course, back in, in those days, they didn't have a lot of the advantages we have now. So to really capitalize on this harvest, he has to find a way to store it all. He's got so much harvest that his, he's maxed out his barns, right? Um, and and he's, he's thinking about the future and he's going, you know, I have so much stuff. I have so much stuff, so much harvest that this harvest could set me for, for years, for decades, right? And uh, But to do that, uh, I've got to build storage facilities, Sadly, it's not like in our day where he could just cash in the crop and put it in a you know a money market account or a, you know put it in the stock market and you know he's got to manage this himself. So he says, "What shall I do?" Because "I know I have a plan. I'll tear down my barns and I'm going to build massive barns that's going to hold all of my grain and wheat and barley and uh, and, and great wine and olive oil, so that I'm going to have this vast holding of savings." And this is going to set me for life. Uh, is there anything wrong with that? Right? Think carefully how you answer that question. Right. Is it wrong with saving? Is it wrong with being successful and doing well and cashing in and putting it in savings? It's a good question, right? Um, Jesus says, there was a problem, right? It was going well. Uh, he uh, had a plan to build these barns. And, and what does he say to himself, right? Here, here's where the sin starts to creep in. What does he say? He says, soul, right? The, the, the depth of my being, I have made it, and now this is what I can do. Once I build these barns, once I have this accumulation of, of overly abundant wealth, this is what I can do. I can relax. Literally, the word relax means I can I can quit working. Right? I can retire. Right? This is exactly what he's describing here. I can retire. I can eat, drink, and be merry. Okay. The result of this great blessing of abundance is this. I can do whatever I want. right? I can now kick back and live the good life. I don't have to worry about my farm anymore. I'll rent it out to somebody else and I'll get what income off I get off it. But it's not going to matter because I am set. And I no longer have to work or labor. I can just live for myself. And I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I can go fishing. I can play golf. I have got it made. Is that a sin? Ooh. Is that a sin? Right? Here is where he crosses the line from what was okay to what is no longer okay. Because now the purpose of all this comes clear. What has been the focus? Why is it he has wanted more all along? Where, Where has the craving for stuff Uh, What what is the end goal of that? Well, it is this. So I can gratify my selfish desires without limit. So I can live completely for myself with no care and no worries. And I can do whatever I want. And I can consume to my heart's desire. And this is where there are problems. This is where it becomes all-out greed. Because the focus of all of his success and planning and goals and hard work has been simply to live a more selfish life without limit and without restriction. So where does all this end? Well, Jesus ends the parable this way. He says, but God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared and labored for, whose will they be? There's one problem with this plan, okay? And that is you won't live forever. Right? You won't live forever. Now this poor guy, and this is this is a tragedy. I mean, this is this is the guy who's playing Monopoly who just bought Boardwalk, just got Park Place, just got the hotels, just got everything, and he is one roll of the dice away from somebody landing on his property and cashing in. But just the turn before that happens, somebody else wins, and you don't get the chance, right? Have you ever had that happen? I hate when that happens. I'm one roll of the dice away from victory, and Nate snatches it out of my hands. He's always the one who does it, by the way. Beats me every time, right? It's like, no, no. Well, this is this guy's life, right? He's he's on the verge. He's one step away from retirement, from the good life, and he dies. God comes to him and says, guess what? No retirement for you, buddy. At least not a retirement on this earth. Uh, They have come to demand your soul. And your life is over. And who is going to enjoy all that you have worked for? Well, we don't know who is going to enjoy it, and it doesn't really matter, because the point is, it's not you. It's not you. You will stand before God, and your life is over. Back to the big question. What does life consist of? Well, the best way to measure what life consists of is to come to this day, this day when your soul is required of you. And on that day, when your soul is required of you and you are about to leave this world and leave behind all the stuff, all the possessions, all the wealth, everything that we thought our life consisted of, and you are about to, your, your soul is about to go into the presence of God, on that day, what does life consist of? How would you measure your life then? Um, and, and imagine yourself on that day, whether you're, you know, if you're, if you're a teenager, old for you would be like 50. So imagine you're 50 on the verge of death. For, for those of you who are 50, you know, for you, it's just like 80. For those of you who may be 80, it's like 100, right? For those of you who are 100, you're there you <laughs> you're there. <laughs> right. You're at the end. Um, look back over your life. What's going to matter to you on that day? right? What is really going to matter to you on that day? Will you be thinking about your stuff? Right? Will you be worried about... Um, you know, your smartphone and your big-screen, high-resolution, curved 3D TV. I love how, you know, just a plain old TV's not good enough anymore. It's going to be curved, high-res, 3D. It's like, what are they going to come up with next, right? Um, is that going to matter? Right? Uh, are you going to be worried about what's going to get posted on Facebook next? Because what's going to get posted at Facebook on Facebook next is there's a memorial service for da-da-da-da tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Right? Um, What's going to matter about our life then? Uh, are we going to really care about how much we got to play golf or go fishing or go on adventures or travel? What's going to matter? You see, and the point of what Jesus is saying here is that life must be valued in view of the future, but not the future meaning the time that we retire on earth and get to quit work and enjoy life, but the ultimate future, right? Are we preparing for the ultimate future when we will stand before God, when we will be a soul in eternity? Uh, What will matter to us then? Uh, What will we have that will be um, left when everything, when all the stuff is stripped away? Uh, One of the most tragic uh, accounts of somebody coming into their life that I've read recently is um, an interview with Steve Jobs right before he died. And uh, right at the end of his life, when he knew he had cancer, when he knew he was going to die, he commissioned a, a biography to be written about his life. And in one of the final interviews, the biographer asked him, as he's you know taking notes to write this biography on his life, he asked Steve Jobs, why why do you want to do this? Why do you want a biography to be written about your life? And here's his answer. He said, I uh, have, have wasted my life in relationships, in, 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 that is, I have not built relationships with my children. Wow. Says my kids don't know me, right? and he said, "I I want a biography. I want something left so that my kids will know who I am." And here's a guy who's in, achieved incredible things, incredible success, incredible wealth. Uh, made technological advancements unlike anybody in his generation. And you know what he's thinking about? How he had no relationship with his kids and how he's going to die and they will never get to know who he really was as a person. What matters at the end of our life? Well, ultimately what matters is relationships, Uh, is people. Um... And Jesus concludes this way. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Um, we all will retire someday, but there's really no such thing as early retirement, which is what people dream of, right? And early retirement means I get to kick back and live the good life at age 45 or 50 or um, you know, for, for a lot of us, early retirement, retirement at all is going to be like when we're like 80. Right? Um, but, Je- but Jesus says there really is no such thing as early retirement. Retirement happens when we die. And the retirement we need to worry about is the eternal retirement after life. Um, and those who live their life for things and possessions on this earth here and now we'll find that really there's no retirement in that, right? Because that's not what life is about for us. So is the one who who stores up treasures for themselves. Um, instead, he says, we should be rich toward God. Bottom line, let me summarize it this way. Uh, the modern world says life is about being a consumer. The joy, purpose, meaning, delight, happiness is going to ha- come when you can accumulate enough wealth to be a consumer without limit. But Jesus said that's not really the way it is because none of that is, is what life consists of. Instead, he says, be rich toward God. And I think that means simply this. A life that is rich toward God is one that's not abandoning wealth. Right? And, and he's not saying here we should not have wealth or even save wealth. Um, The reality is most of us are going to live way longer than we want to or should, right? This is the world we live in. And here's the deal. I don't want to take care of you when you're 90 years old, so start saving now, right? And your kids don't want to take care of you either, so save up, right? It's good to do that. It's good to plan for a day when you can't work anymore. Uh, Not that we should have as a goal retirement, but the reality is, Someday we're not going to be able to work at the same level we do now. And we're going to need to back off a bit. We're going to need to slow down. Our health and our age, our brain's not going to work so well. And people are not going to want us like driving cars and using computers anymore because we're dangerous. Right? So plan for retirement. I'm not saying not to do that. right? Um, it's it's Jesus is not saying here that we shouldn't save money for emergencies or for... Um, crises that may come in our life but the question is why are you saving why are you storing up how are you using your wealth are you using it simply to consume it yourself or are you using it in a way that will be rich toward god in other words are we being a consumer or are we being a producer what was the main mistake that this guy made Well, it's that he didn't use his wealth to produce more to benefit others, to build relationships that were kingdom focused and God honoring. And the reality is that I think most of us in this room, I, I believe most of us in this room, have this perspective. We are living our lives not to consume for ourselves, but to be producers, to produce and bear fruit for God's kingdom. And we know and we get what it means to invest and build relationships for God's kingdom. To love our children and to love our family and to be generous towards them. To love our neighbors and to be generous towards them. To love the body of Christ and to give our lives in service to bless others. Uh, God has given us incredible wealth. But are we using that for ourselves or are we using it to be rich toward God? To invest in things that are eternal? Ultimately, that means investing in in relationships, in people, in doing what honors God and gives him glory and worship, in investing in his kingdom. And Jesus will go on in the next passage, and he'll explain more practically what this looks like. But uh, we'll stop here and just end with uh, just this reflection. You know, really, what is your life about? Strip away all the stuff, right? And maybe a good thing to practice. Right? I'm not saying you need to sell all your things. Um, you, you might want to consider selling some things, right? Um, living more simply, uh, modeling our life after Jesus who lived in extremely simple fashion. But here's something even a little less extreme and maybe a simple step in that direction. Take a day or two or a week and just practice living unplugged, right? Imagine a whole day, like 24 hours, without Facebook, right? Imagine a whole day without computers or Internet or technology. Uh, Find ways to practice stripping off the stuff, right? And, And really ask yourself... How am I investing my life in eternal things? How am I giving myself to people in ways that's life-giving, that is producing fruit for God's kingdom in my life and in theirs? That should be the focus of our life. How can I use my wealth uh, in ways that blesses and benefits others, not just materially, right, because that's not just always helping, like, you know, going out and buying a big screen TV for somebody else so they can be more materialistic. That may not be what Jesus is talking about here. But how can I give in ways that, that bless people eternally? What would that look like in your life? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand.